I just want to talk to you for a few minutes tonight about when praise happens. When praise happens. And I want to talk to you about that for a few minutes tonight because I believe that lovers of God uh, will care about this and I believe it will mean something to you. I said to you Sunday morning that we must have faith for what we do. Faith is not just believing God can do something. It's believing that he will do something. And whatever's not of faith is not pleasing to God. So when we come before God in church and we come to worship and we come to sing, we must come in faith or our singing is not pleasing to him. And our worship's not pleasing to him if we're not coming in faith. And so we come to God in faith. It's not a feeling. You know, people say all the time, you know, well, I don't feel this way or I don't feel that way. All right. Great. You don't feel this way. You feel depressed. You feel down. You feel oppressed. All right. You do. Now, faith it out. Just get up and put faith into action now because it's not a feeling, right? Faith is not a feeling. It is a belief. It's the substance of what we're hoping for. It's the evidence of what we don't see. And so when we come before God and we worship the Lord and we come before God in praise, we're coming in faith. We're believing God to be true to his word. We're believing that God is going to do things as a result of us praising him in obedience to his word. And we're bringing before God what he has asked us to bring us. So it doesn't matter what your background is or what your tradition was. If you were Baptist, if you grew up Catholic, if you were Methodist, if you grew up Pentecostal, that really doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is what does God say? What does his word say? How does God tell us to approach him? What does God want from us? And for example, just as Robin brought out tonight, if underneath our our tongue representing the fruit of our lips is the milk and honey for God. How many of you would not want to give God milk and honey tonight? And if it's as simple as speaking to God and praising God, why would we withhold that from him? Because he loves that. He loves the fruit of our lips. And so I do that in faith. I give that to God in faith. And I believe that God is taking delight in that. And I also believe that God comes to our praise. He inhabits the praises of his people. And so I believe that God comes to us when we praise him. And I believe that when God comes, there should be activity in the presence of God. Because he who in the midst of us is here is mighty. And he's mighty and able to do great things. I also know that the Bible says that Judah, which means praise, whenever Israel would go out to war, Judah would be the first tribe that would go out into battle. And that represented praise. Praise was to be the first thing that was to occur in spiritual warfare. Because God inhabits that praise and when God comes, he confounds the enemies of our life. So when we come together in church and we're doing church, we have to come with a faith expectation. We have to come believing God to be God. And the things that we do, the songs that we sing, the words that we speak, the prayers that we pray, we have to do those things in faith. Not believing God can do something, but he will do something. And it's a quite different attitude in a person who believes that God is going to do something as opposed to the attitude in a person who believes God can do something. A lot of people believe God can do anything, but they're not expecting him to do it. But faith expects him to do it. 
Faith is counting upon him to do it. Faith is counting upon God to deliver. God to answer prayer. God to heal cancers. God to bring deliverance. It's expecting him to do that. And so we have to come to God with that type of faith. And I pray that you do. And faith brings deliverance. It's not the outcast who are praising God. But it is those that were restored that praise God, which delivers the outcasts so that they become praisers as well. And so we have to understand that our praise right here, us together, when we come and we praise God, it has a profound effect upon other people around us who are in captivity. Because in the presence of God, there's peace. Now, a person doesn't have to take that presence. They can't deny the peace of God when they're in his presence, but they can walk out of that presence and go back into their life of misery, chaos, hell, whatever it might be that's going on, but they didn't have to. But when you come together with people who are in the presence of God, everyone benefits from that, but not everyone has to live in that. They can go back and live in whatever it was they were in. But there's peace among God's people and in God's presence. So I want to start tonight in Psalm 147. And I want to go through most of this psalm with you. Some of it in detail and others I'll kind of go through it quickly. And we're going to go back and forth some into Psalm 144. And and for those of you that are interested, I'll probably go to 1 Chronicles 22 as well tonight. So if you want to get those three ready. But in Psalm 147, it says this, Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is comely. I want to talk about those three things about praise right right now. Listen to verse 1. It's telling us to directly praise God. And there are three things about praise. Number one, it's good. Number two, it's pleasant. And number three, it's comely. And I want to explain that to you. And this is very, very important. Sin has damaged us. Sin has damaged our life. And sin has given the enemy, the devil, in our life access to us. To harass us. And to torment us. And to cause us to become vain. And to cause us to become hopeless. And that's what sin has done to us. It has damaged us. God, when he created us, he created us in such a way that the most natural thing that would occur in our life would be praise. Praise was to be the most natural reaction and the most natural function of a human being. And when you look into heaven, you're going to find that through redemption and in our glorified bodies, we have been restored to that natural order. Because we are living in heaven praising God. There's nothing weird about it. There's nothing uncomfortable about it. There's nothing shameful in it. There's nothing shameful in my dance. There's nothing shameful in my shout. There's nothing shameful in my lifted hands. And that's the way God originally made us to be. People who have this attitude that I cannot praise God are actually confessing that I am still greatly damaged in sin. I am still greatly damaged by the fall. And that is very true. We, we are much more aware of what people think about us than God. 
And that is a result of the fall. We live under the fear of man rather than the fear of God. We live under the need of man's acceptance rather than God's acceptance. But when a person is coming into the freedom of God's grace... And God's grace is breaking down the oppression and the limitations of life. You will find that one of the things that grace is doing in a person's life is giving them the freedom and the liberty to do what they were created to do. And when the Bible says that praise is good, it is actually telling us that praise is the most natural disposition of a human being. It is good. It is natural. It is, it is, it is your natural state of being and your inability to praise God is an admittance in your life that something is fundamentally broken with me and I'm not allowing it to be fixed. And to be more comfortable in not praising God is something wrong. To be more comfortable living for the acceptance of man rather than the acceptance of God denotes something wrong. And to live more comfortably under the fear of man rather than the fear of God is is denoting that something is wrong with me. And so when the Bible says in Psalm 147 that praise is good, it's meaning that praise is natural. It is what you were created to do. And when you begin to let go... And when you begin to praise God in the biblical way, by faith, through the Holy Spirit, you will find yourself coming to life. You will find the shell around you beginning to crack, beginning to break, and beginning to fall aside. And you will be amazed at the liberty that God begins to bring you in because you're no longer under this bondage of religion are men, are traditions, but you're doing what you were made to do. So many people say, oh, I want to serve God. Well, this is how you do it. And if you ever want to get to the next step of serving God, start here. And that shell begins to break and you begin to serve the Lord. The second thing about praise is it's pleasant. And that just means it's sweet. And Robin shared with us what sweetness means. Robin shared with us in the psalm, Psalm 66, about how under the tongue is the sweet things for God. And it parallels with the song of Solomon that milk and honey are under your tongue. It is the fruit of your lips that God is desiring. That is sweet to God. And so maybe you have, and I want to I try to give you some freedom in this. Maybe you have a very difficult time with your vocabulary. Maybe you have a difficult time thinking of what to say. And maybe you're scared that you can't do it as well as somebody else. I want to tell you and I want to assure you that God is more interested in your heart than he is with your mouth. And though you might have a difficult time articulating things and somebody else is much more articulate than you are, but in your heart, You're trying to get out these words that just don't seem to flow. That could be more sweet to God than somebody who just has the gift of talk. 
It could be more sweet to God. It is sweet to the Lord. So you don't judge yourself with yourself or by yourself and say, oh, you go up into an altar and you're standing up there and you're just quoting, you know, half of the Bible and you're just thinking, oh, God's so impressed with my praise. But it's not in faith. It's not really coming from your heart. It's just rote repetition. And there's another person there and they're just kind of stuttering and they have a hard time getting it out. And they're just, oh, just thank you, Jesus. I wish I could express it more. But just think, and God's just eating it up. That's so sweet to me. That's so pleasant to me. So it's for God. It's not for you. It's not for the person next to you. It's not for people's opinion. It's not that you get a blue ribbon at the end of the year because you are the queen of praise. All right? It's for God. And, and you're feeding him. You're giving him sweet things when you, when you do that. And then the Bible says that praise is comely, and that means beautiful. Praise is beautiful. And it really is. When you watch a person who's praising the Lord, when you watch a person who has gone into the presence of God and they are there with God and they have freedom before the Lord and they're worshiping the Lord, there is something about their countenance. There's something about their expression. There's something about their lifted hands that is absolutely beautiful. It is a beautiful thing to see. And I know you've seen this before, but and, and, I, and I know you've watched it, but if you've ever seen a picture of a, of a church, a group of people, a congregation that were assembled, and everybody was there, and they were just in the presence of God, and all the hands were lifted, and the faces were just magnified and, and fixed upon the Lord. It was just something beautiful about that picture. It was beautiful to begin with. That's why somebody took it. And then if you were to have a recording, if you were to have just a, a, a playback, something in a service where the whole congregation, nobody really over another person, but it was kind of like a choir, kind of like a unison roar of praise and tongues and worship. And you couldn't really distinguish, but it was just, you know, man, this is just holy unto God. That, that's just one of the most beautiful sounds that... I've ever heard. I'm so glad I've heard that many times in here. I remember, though, many, many years ago, listened to a Brooklyn Tabernacle uh, worship CD, and the choir was singing a song, and it was, um, I think it was Jehovah Jireh, I think it was, my provider. And there was a part in the song where the singing kind of stopped, and the instruments were playing very lightly. And all of a sudden, you could hear the roar of the congregation. As they just began to praise the Lord. It was so beautiful. I would just put on that song and fast forward to that spot so many times. To just listen to the beautiful praise that was going up to God. Don't you want to give him that? Don't you want to give that to God? Don't you want to be a fixed Christian and not broken anymore? Don't you want to be free of the shell? You know, free of what men think about you, free of the judgment of other people's opinions. And just, I want to go get up into God's presence and I just want to begin to live. And I want to be in freedom and I want to be in liberty with God. And so this is what praise is. And I encourage you to exercise that. I encourage you to study it. Now, the Bible says the Lord, in verse 2, does build up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcast of Israel. And I want you to see that, and I want you to compare this with me, if you will, to 1 Chronicles 22. And, I, and if you're just listening, that's fine. I'm reading verse 19. And the Bible says this, and this is about the building of the temple that David was telling Solomon to build. 
And David says this in verse 19, set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. You know you can do that. Set your heart and set your soul. Those are two different things. It's not the same thing. So you can come with a heart, I'm set upon God, and my soul is set upon God. I pray forever that you would set yourself before God this way when you enter into the presence of God or go to church or wherever it might be, that I am setting my heart and I'm setting my soul upon this fact of seeking the Lord. Arise, therefore, and build ye the sanctuary of the Lord God. Now, what is the purpose of building this sanctuary? It's, it's, a, it's, it's for this purpose, to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy vessels of God into the house. And I, I, I want you to look at this very quickly again in verse 19. Set your heart and your soul, seek the Lord. Now get up, build the sanctuary, build the house. And the purpose of the house being built is to bring in the ark of the covenant and the holy vessels of God into the house. Think about that, and let me remind you of this verse. The Lord builds up Jerusalem and gathers together the outcast of Israel. That's Psalm 147, verse 2 that we just read. Praise is good, praise is pleasant, praise is comely, for the Lord builds up Jerusalem and brings in the outcast. Do you know what's going to bring the prodigals home? When God is talking about building up Jerusalem and bringing in the outcast, he's talking about bringing in the broken and the suffering and those lives that have been thrown away and those lives that have people have believed that I have wrecked my life so badly. I have damaged myself to such a degree I can never get back to God. And if the people of God would begin to praise, God would build up Jerusalem. That means God would bring his people back to Jerusalem. And God would bring the outcast back to Jerusalem. Do you know one of the things that is going to bring revival in this earth in the last days and bring in the harvest is the praise of God from his people? And when we begin to praise God like that, and when people, when the church is beautiful because of praise, and it's, and it's pleasant because of praise, and it's just good because of praise, then the outcasts are going to come, and the broken are going to come, and the hurting are going to come, and prodigals are going to come back home, and God is going to build this up. How does Jesus build his house? Now I'm kind of going back to First Chronicles now. But he, David said to Solomon, build the house, build the temple. How does Jesus build his house? He builds his house with people. He builds his house with people, with people's lives. He, he goes after sinners and he goes after those that are lost and dead. And he gives them life and he gives them hope and he gives them forget. And that's how he builds his temple. That's how he builds his house. And so what do we do? We want to see the house of Jesus built up, don't we? We want to see it grow. Build up the house of God. And what's the purpose of building up the house of God? What's the purpose of that? The purpose is that so that you can bring in the ark of the covenant of God. What is that? The presence of God. The presence of God. You build up the house of God so you can bring in the presence of God. And that is why the people of God must gather together. Build up the house of God. 
I mean, you go to church and you see a handful of people. You're longing for the rest of them. But when you go and you see that build up the house of God and everybody's going to church and everybody's getting there and the house of God is built up. Now we're like, okay, now let's bring in the Ark of the Covenant. Let's bring in the presence of God. And then the presence of God comes. And what's the next thing you're supposed to bring into that house? You're supposed to bring into the house the holy vessels of God. These vessels are instruments of praise and prayer and edification. And the preaching of God's word are these holy vessels that operate in this house of God we call the church. And so he says this in Psalm 147. Build up Jerusalem. Gather together the outcast. The Bible says in verse 3, he heals the broken in heart and binds up their wounds. I remind you, I said this Sunday morning, but I remind you of this. When Jesus changed, cleared out the money changers and freed up the temple from all of the clutter that was in there and the merchandise that was in there. It was after that that Jesus did that, that the broken and the lame and the crippled and the blind and the sinners came into God's house and he healed them all. He healed them all. And that's what he wants us to do. Praise the Lord. Bring in the presence of God. Bring the holy instruments, the praise, the prayer, the preaching, the edification. And it says in verse 3, he heals the broken in heart. He binds up their wounds. Verse 4 seems to be so out of place. But it goes right in from from people that are broken and wounded to verse 4. He tells the number of the stars and he calls them all by their names. Verse 5 is amazing to me. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. Man, that that is just trying to get my mind around that is just so awesome. You know, you just come to a wall, really, and you can't pass that wall when you're thinking about God. And when it says that God's is his wisdom is infinite, it doesn't mean he's always learning. He's never learned anything. He's never figured anything out. Nothing was ever new to him. Nothing surprised him. He's never discovered anything that was just something that he he never knew before. He always has known infinitely forever and ever and ever. Eternity past, eternity in the future. He knows absolutely everything. He knows every atom that's going to split. He knows everything that is going to happen. He knows where every drop of rain right now is falling on this earth. So what does it mean when he says he knows the stars and he tells them by, calls them by name and he just follows that up from saying, I heal the brokenhearted. He's saying, I know you. I know you. I know you with an infinite knowledge. And if you would praise me, I know how to deliver you. I know how to heal you. I know how to bind up your wounds. I know how to fix your brokenness. I am mighty and powerful. I've named all of the stars. I know everything about you. And he wants us to praise him so that he can do that for us. And I pray that we would want to praise him so we can see him do that for others that might be having a hard time to praise him. And the Bible says... In verse 6, the Lord lifts up the meek. He goes right back to the broken after that. The Lord lifts up the meek and he casts down the wicked down to the ground. Now listen to verse 7. Sing unto the Lord. How? Sing unto the Lord. How? With thanksgiving. What is thanksgiving? The definition of thanksgiving is a choir of praisers. 
Study it. It is a choir of praisers. And so what is he telling us in verse 7? Sing to the Lord, singers, with a choir of praisers. That's what he's asking for. I'm not making this stuff up. That's what he's asking for. And he who knows the stars and has all power and infinite knowledge wants to come and heal us and bind us up and fight for us. We must give him that. Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praise upon the harp unto our God. And it talks about his might to cover the heavens with clouds. We certainly know about his reign. Makes the grass to grow. Gives the beast its food. But the Bible says this in verse 10. He does not delight in the strength of the horse. He takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. And, and that speaks of man's strength. Because that's where man's strength really is. In his legs. He has no pleasure in that. He takes no delight in that. You don't impress him. The strength of the horse is speaking of military. How many people you got on your side? How strong your people are? How mighty your people are? How many Christians you got around you? How many theologians you've got in your life? Not impressed. Not impressed. But God, look how strong I am. Look how I overcame temptation. Look how I battled the devil. Look how I withstood that. Not impressed. Um, You do not impress me. You know what impresses me, God says? Thank God he answers it. This is what I take pleasure in. I take pleasure in people who fear me and hope in my mercy. That's who delights me. That's, that's the one my heart is drawn to. Boy, and, and in the church world, sometimes this gets so twisted, doesn't it? We think God loves the preacher so much. God loves the evangelist so much. God loves those mighty people passionately calling us to fasting and prayer. If you knew how much I hated to fast. And if you knew sometimes how hard it is to pray. And I don't want to fast from Saturday to Wednesday, to be honest with you. I don't. I need to, though. I want to be with God, but I have a battle in that. And so God's not impressed with, you know, oh, well, I fasted 40 days one time. That's impressive to me. But really what God says, you know, I take delight in people that hope in my mercy. They have no other recourse but me. And they're, and they're not coming to me pounding on their chest about how worthy they are, how great they are. That's why they need mercy. They need my loving kindness and my help to them. And boy, I take delight in those kind of people. So if you're that kind of person here tonight that you're weak and you're not strong and you don't have a mighty force around you and you're acquainted with failure and you're just really hopeless apart from the mercy of God, God has delight in you. And he takes great delight in you. And um, I, want you to, I want you to just see this because it talks about, you know, the horse for war and the legs of a man for strength. And go to Psalm 144 and I want you to see this for a minute. This is a Psalm of David and David says this in verse 1. And, I, and, and guys, I'm, I'm teaching this because this is life. Oh, this is such life. I just pray that you would know this in your life for, for victory and And beauty in your life. Psalm 144. David says this. Blessed be the Lord. My strength. Which teaches my hands to war. 
and my fingers to fight. And I want to stop right there. No, no doubt David was a great warrior, wasn't he? Military genius, fearless soldier, went out against Goliath, took him down, skilled with his sling, skilled in armor, skilled in battle. I mean, David was a man's man. He was a fighter and, and so forth, a man of war. But David says this, the Lord taught me how to fight, taught me how to war and how my, and, and my fingers to fight. The Lord trained me and the Lord brought me out. What does David mean? Is David telling us that God taught me how to kill people? Is David telling us that God taught me how to slay other armies and invading hordes against Israel? What does David mean? God taught me how to fight. How did God teach David to fight? Wouldn't you love for God to teach you to fight? So wouldn't it be an invaluable lesson if the King David were to step down into this room tonight and say, Hey guys, I want to tell you how God taught me to fight. Because he was, see, he was successful. He had peace all around him. Gave his son a kingdom of peace. No enemies. David wiped them out. How did he do it? Well, he tells us in this psalm how he did it. And it's, it's really very beautiful. He says in verse 9, I will sing a new song to you, O God. Upon the psaltery and an instrument of ten strings, I will sing praises unto you. It is he that gives salvation to kings who delivered David. So how did God teach David to fight? He taught me how to praise. And the one who taught me how to praise was the one who delivered me and gave me salvation. So go back to verse 2. And you will see David's testimony in this. My goodness. My fortress. Not Israel's goodness. Not Israel's. But he's mine. This is intimacy. David had intimacy with God. He is my goodness. He's my righteousness. He's my fortress. He's my high tower. And you know what? Sometimes I'm pinned in a place. I can't get to my high tower. So you know what he is for me then? My deliverer. When I can't make it to my refuge or my tower, he's my deliverer. My shield and he in whom I trust who subdues my people under me. David, how did you learn to fight? I learned to let him. I learned to let him. How did you learn to let God fight? I learned to sing praise to God. And he delivered his king. And he subdued the people. God did this for me. And I just think that is absolutely beautiful of the Lord. And David's revelation of this. Going back to Psalm 147. I just want to come to this just a little bit. And I want you to see this because he says in verse 12, praise the Lord, Jerusalem, praise your God, O Zion, because he strengthened the bars of your gates. The, the, the gates were the most vulnerable part of the city. If a kingdom was coming against another city, it would attack the gates. And God is, has fortified the weakest parts of your life. Praise him for that. You have no idea what God has spared you from today. This past week. You have no idea what God has delivered you. It might have been a bad week. Could have been a lot worse. He fortified the bars of your gate. You don't even know how vulnerable you were to the enemy. But God provided strength where you were weak. And he gave you grace right there. And he blesses your children within you. 
Listen to this. I'm, I'm just going to skim over verses 14 through 19 this way. He makes... Verse 15, he sins. Verse 16, he gives. Verse 17, he cast away. Verse 18, he sins. Verse 19, he shows. This is an active God. This is a God who is so involved. He is making. He is sending. He is giving. He's casting out. He's sending forth. He's revealing and showing. This is an active God. And, and don't come around me telling me you've got a boring Christianity. You know. Because the God of Christianity is not boring. He is quite exciting. There's never a dull moment around God. And serving God. There's never a dull moment with that. He is absolutely tremendous. And so I want to I close with this in Psalm 144. And, and I want you to look at verse 15. Happy is that people that is in such a case. Yes, happy is that people Whose God is the Lord. And so I ask you tonight. Are you happy? And I'm glad this word is used. And I really haven't studied it in much depth. But I do know that the word blessed means to be happy as well. To be envied. But I like the word happy. And that's the one I'm just going to stay with. Because a lot of times, you know, we say, well, I've got joy. You know, and joy that passes all understanding. I get that. And thank God in some really difficult times in life, we still have joy, right? The joy of the Lord is my strength. But I'm asking, are you happy? Are you happy? Are you a happy person? Because how is God going to build up Jerusalem? And how is the presence of God going to come to a miserable people and a depressed people? Who are not hoping in his mercy and receiving his grace and being delivered by his power and being able to say, my God, my fortress, my high tower, my deliverer, you're mine. And I'm happy. I'm happy because the Lord is my God. The Lord is my God. And I believe that if we have this kind of relationship with God and you can through praise, trust me, trust me. Um, we had a minister's meeting here Tuesday. We've been asking ministers from around our community to come once a month and just visit with us. And we had, I, I guess, around 30-something guys that were here Tuesday. And Pastor Shedrick was here, and Shedrick said, I am the most depressed man in my church, and I am the most joyful man in my church. And it was like, you know exactly what he's saying. I'm depressed because I know what the church could be. But I'm joyful because I know that Jesus can bring it there. And a lot of times we see that. I, I know what can be. I know the potential. Just like when I was talking to us tonight in the altar. When I said if we could acknowledge every good thing that is in us in Christ Jesus. I mean I'm seeing this vision of power going out of this building. Because the gifts of the spirit are working through believers. And I see that. But then when it doesn't happen. I'll become immediately depressed in that. Like oh God help us to get it. Help us to understand it. And that's where joy comes. Because I know God can give us that revelation. And he has to do it. You know. God has to do that. But what we know could be. Oh my God. But I'm just saying this in, in regards to happiness. Because God really taught me that. And I, I'll share this testimony of mine. You, some of you bored with it. But deal with it. Because you're going to hear it one more time. But I went through a really tough time in my life. Um, many, many years. And suffered from a lot of depression. A lot of despair. My life was under attack. Church was under attack. My ministry was under attack. 
um, and, a, and a strategy of attack was launched globally against me um, with every relationship I have around the world. And God told me I couldn't fight and I couldn't defend myself. And so I was really just at the mercy of God. And it was a very difficult time. It was, I was abused in many, many ways. And, and anyway, I couldn't sleep much at night. I would wake up after 30 minutes or an hour, two hours of sleep. And my mind is just stressed and I'm in anxiety and everything. And I just wake up oftentimes praying. And so I knew I wasn't going to go back to bed. And so I'd get up and go sit in my office. I did this for years, years, and nothing was getting better. I was getting more angry and I was getting upset with God and I wasn't happy. I was not a happy person. I would pretend because, you know, preachers are supposed to be happy. So I'd pretend to be happy and, oh, I'm fine. My life's falling apart. I want to die. This is what's really going on. And I remember one specific morning on a Sunday. I'd been up since about 3.40 in the morning and sitting in my office praying. It's about 6 o'clock and I'm leaving. I got to go get ready for church. And I'm walking down. There's a chair in my office. And I just was picturing God sitting in the chair. And I just kind of, you know, I'm walking down. I just kind of turn back to God. And I was like, when are you ever going to help me? And he spoke back to me. And he just said, when are you going to let me? And I said, that's not fair. That is not fair. I'm doing everything I know to do. Your word says to come and cast my cares upon you because you care for me. Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden. I'm come. I'm praying. I'm confessing. I'm giving. What do you mean, when am I going to let you? And the Lord said to me, do you think for one moment I'm going to come and sit with you in your misery and pat you on the back and tell you everything's going to be fine? Because some Christians come into this place and never come out. And I told the Lord, no, I don't believe you would do that because it really wouldn't help me. I said, when will you help me? And the Lord said, praise me. And I said, no. And I meant it until he asked me the next question. Why? Why won't you praise me? And I said to the Lord, because I know the moment I do, I'll be happy. Because I can't praise you and stay depressed and sad. And he didn't have to say anything else after that. He answered my question. He taught me about praise. He overcame my depression. My gloom, my despair, my wanting to die. My pain, my hurt, my abuse. And I rose up and I just said, I'm not a victim. I'm chosen. I'm chosen to suffer. This is going to turn out to make hell miserable. Because I'm going to take grace and praise throughout this earth. And tell as many people as I can. About how wonderful God is. And I'm actually happy. 
And the Lord said to me one day, what about your enemies? I said, my enemies, my enemies are my friends. Because of them, I've learned this. Because of them, I've been broken. And in my brokenness, I've been healed. And in my healing, I've become happy. And the joy of the Lord is my strength. So I'm not coming to you to give you some exercise so we can look like this or look like that. I'm coming to you because this is life. And numbers of you in this room and numbers of people, some of them will be coming here next week, would tell you it's life to them. Not me, but the truth of what God has taught us. And I just simply ask you, let him heal you. Let him fix you. Let him break the shell around your life. Because honestly, you praising God is a much more beautiful you than the sour you sitting in depression. You're much more beautiful when you're wearing praise. And the garment of his glory is upon you. And the only thing you got to have is, oh God, I hope in your mercy. And God's like, oh, I delight in you. You're my delight. See all those strong people think they don't need me? But you need me. You got me. You got 